It's a great joy to share with you today. Um, if you're new with us, we've just started a new series. We began last Sunday, a series on worship and particularly on the gift that God has made worship to be in our lives. And I want to ask you this morning, we're going to read a couple of passages, one from Revelation chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 4 through 6, and then we're going to read a passage from 1 Peter chapter 2. We looked last week at the fact that God has created us for communion with him, and when that communion was interrupted and broken by our fallenness and our rebellion against him, he did not leave us in that place of exclusion from him, but sought us from the very first moment. Adam, where are you? God sought for his wandering sheep to bring them home. He sought for his prodigal sons and daughters to bring them back to his house. He has loved us before eternity and he will keep us forever as his own. And that's because our hearts were made for communion with him and when we are outside of that communion with him, then we turn to what the scriptures identify by the word idols and what is meant by an idol. Well, an idol, of course, you might think of you know, a statue or an image or something like that. But those things were simply symbolizing other matters like, like power or, or wealth or sexuality. Things that we imagine will fulfill us. Things that are actually good gifts from God, but we ascribe to them ultimate meaning. And we think those things will fulfill us and give us life. And then we discover no matter how much wealth we accumulate or how many achievements we have or how many lovers or whatever happens in our life or how much power we accumulate over other people that we're actually left empty and fragile. And that our relationships become merely transactional instead of profoundly deep and loving. Our hearts have eternity within them. We are made for communion with God. But as Paul says in Romans, we worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. And so to reverse that and to bring us back into communion with him, God saw our slavery to self, our slavery to death, our slavery to sin, and he began to write a story across the centuries, a story of liberation. And it unfolds first in the book of Exodus where God says to Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh and I want you to tell him these words. God's people were there as slaves in Egypt and he says, let my people go. And we looked at this text last week, Exodus 8, Exodus 9, Exodus 10, 13 and so on. Let my people go that they may worship me. And worship is not something God needs. He stands in need of nothing. Worship is not something God needs. Worship is something we need. Not, not the worship of the creature, but communion with the creator. And so God takes people who are slaves and he gives them the gift of rest. He takes people that were in darkness and he brings them into the light of his presence. How does he do it? Well, a Passover lamb was slain. And that night, God delivered his people and they came out. And then the ultimate Passover lamb comes and sheds his blood. Jesus Christ, the lamb of God, the great Jewish prophet John the Baptist called him, the lamb of God who takes away not just the sins of Israel, but the sins of the world. And he takes them away, he frees us so that 
Something beautiful takes place in our lives, which we may not have recognized. If you're a Christian, you may realize, of course, that Jesus Christ has, by his blood, cleansed you from something or freed you from something, from shame, from sin, from death. But too often, we don't realize that by his blood, he has not only freed us from something, but for something, literally for someone. And John brings that out here in Revelation chapter one. Let's look at that. Revelation chapter one, where the scriptures talk about Jesus being the one. He says, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, from the seven spirits who were before his throne, from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us. Note the present tense. It's the only place in the New Testament where that present continuous tense is used as. Jesus not only has loved us, friends, Jesus loves you right now. He loves you continually. It's a word that means it will never cease. He loves and he continually, perpetually loves us. Who loves us and, look at the past tense, has freed us from our sins by his blood. Now, if we stop there, that'd be great news. That's fabulous news. But we're not only freed from, watch this, we're freed for. He has made us to be a kingdom, and look at the next word, what is it? Priests a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. So when Christ died and rose again, and when he came to put his throne in your heart, he not only applied his cleansing blood to you, but by that same cleansing, he not only cleansed you, he consecrated you, and he calls you now a priest. Now, you may not have woken up this morning going, I feel priestly today. That's why I want to talk to you about being a priestly people. Here's one of the amazing things about the New Testament. In the New Testament, Israel's story that God was writing across those many centuries becomes our story. It becomes the story of the world. God takes Israel's beautiful story and he begins to take the script and make it larger and write it across the whole globe to include every race, every tongue, every tribe, every people under heaven so that we're all having a Passover. We're all free from slavery and we're all made to be a kingdom of priests. See, after the Passover, Israel comes out of Egypt. They go through the Red Sea, miraculously delivered there. Uh, You may not have read it, but you've seen the movie and they all went through. And they come then finally to Mount Sinai. And when they get there, God says to his people, you see what I've done for you, how I have borne you on eagle's wings and I've brought you to myself. You are my treasured possession in the whole world. And you are a holy nation, my people, a chosen race, a royal priesthood. He calls all of his people his priesthood. People that have access to the holy of holies. People that have access to heaven itself. And that same language is picked up by Peter. 
Let's read it, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, and then 9 and 10. In 1 Peter 2, verses 4 and 5, that language that God spoke over Israel is written across our lives. Verse 4, as you come to him, and he's referring to Jesus, as you come to Christ, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. So let me just stop there for a moment. All of us together are living stones. And note the word stones. We are not living bricks. Bricks are man-made and they're uniform. They're all the same and they fit together really well. But stones are God-made and they're all different shapes and colors. And if you try to get them to fit together, you gotta work at it. Can I just tell you, that's why church is sometimes hard. Because you're not bricks. We're stones. And the church is a hard hat area. It's constantly being built. We're always under construction. And God is not calling you to some individualistic existence called worship. Well, I don't, I don't need the church. I just drive down the road in my car and I listen to a podcast. And I, I sing songs in the car. It's embarrassing at stoplights, but there you go. I don't need the church. I just have me and Jesus. Well, no, all of us are living stones and we're being built together. The Holy Spirit is joining us together into this house to be a what? Holy priesthood. And the purpose of a priesthood, of course, is to offer, now he doesn't say here animal sacrifices, that would have happened back then, but there's a new kind of sacrifice. What does he call it? Spiritual sacrifices. We'll get, to, we'll get to more about that in just a minute. Spiritual sacrifices which become acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We'll get to more of that. Spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable in heaven, the sacrifices you as a priest bring to God are acceptable to him because they come through Jesus Christ. And then look at verse 9. Here's that language. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I'll just stop there for time's sake. Look, you and, 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 and me, we're living stones, we're being built into this house, and we're also priestly people. So every single believer in Jesus is a priest, and you go, well, when did I become a priest? I, I don't remember that service. Well, let me help you. Let me help you remember our consecration to God as priests. Remember, he has freed us by his blood and made us to be a kingdom priest to his God. So it's, it, it's not surprisingly tied up to the application of Jesus' blood to our lives. But that too goes back to that great Old Testament narrative written across the centuries. When a priest was made in Israel, you can read about this in Leviticus 8 and Exodus 29 Exodus 30, they would take the man and they would bring him out and they would put a new robe on him. And then they would sprinkle on him blood and water and oil. The blood of a lamb that sacrificed to cleanse him, 
the water of the word that he will not only teach, but will teach him. And the oil, which symbolized the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now let me ask you a question. When was water applied to you? Oh, you go, that's what happened. Yeah, you may have been sprinkled, you may have been poured, you may have been immersed. I don't know how you were baptized, but in the moment you were baptized, the Holy Spirit was there doing his thing that the Spirit does, and the blood of Christ, which was shed 2,000 years ago, here's what the Holy Spirit does. He takes what God planned from eternity and which Christ accomplished in history, and he makes it experientially yours now. If it weren't for the Holy Spirit, Jesus would be nothing more than a dusty figure from history to you. But when the Holy Spirit comes, he makes Jesus real and beautiful and compelling. Someone who is in your life, your dearest friend. Suddenly, he's your Lord and Savior. He's not just some figure from history. He is the one who has come to dwell with you and change you forever and forgive all of your sins. And you go, I didn't know. This is amazing. I love the Lord Jesus now. So blood and water and oil are applied to your life. And by the way, how did they do that? They, they did what? They, they sprinkled. I'm just saying. <laughs> just saying. It's a Presbyterian moment there just for a second. Give me, you know, you don't have to believe in it, but you got to listen to me talk about it, okay? That's the deal we have, all right? But whether you get, you get poured or sprinkled or immersed, you were then part of a holy priesthood. Male, female, rich, poor, brown, black, white, no matter where you're from, young or old. I was asked whether or not I believe in women priests. I said I did. And I believe in kid priests as well. They were, this was very alarming to some people. But you are all priests. You all have access to God. But this changes our view of worship, doesn't it? Because if we're all in the priesthood, then we're all coming together into the Holy of Holies to offer up spiritual sacrifices to God. That's what Peter says here. You are offering up, he says, spiritual sacrifices, verse five, acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. What are those? Why do we do that? You see, so in gathered worship, here's, we have so, oh my gosh, we have so many misunderstandings about worship. How much time do I have? Time to say a couple. All right, so here's what, here's what, here's what. when most people think about worship, what they really mean is music. That's right, and especially if the definite article is used. Like when you leave church today, and, and somebody says to you, well, how was the worship? What they really mean, what they're really asking is how was what? How was the music? Okay, that, now, now that actually reduces us from being worshipers to being music critics. That's why all the Christians are moving to Nashville. They all want to be music critics, okay? So, but that's not, okay, so music is part of worship, but, but worship includes the call to worship, which no one is here for. <laughs> well, it's six or seven, okay. And, and that includes the music. It certainly includes that. That's a form of our offering up to God. It includes the message right now. The message is part of worship. It includes the prayers that are prayed. It includes the benediction that's given. All of these are elements of worship. It includes baptism in the Lord's table because worship is a feast. But some people think worship is just, oh, worship is great. The music was great. Well, the music is important. Singing is important, but it's just a part of worship. Worship is not a music hall. 
But now some people also think worship, the only thing that matters in worship is the message. Like I'm coming 20 minutes late because I'm here for the main stuff. Everything else is warm up and preliminaries. I'm here for the meat and it better not be baloney. That's all I got to tell you. I'm here for the message. I want my three points, okay? So, so I'm here for the message. That's, what, that's the worship experience I want. But it, you know what both of those have in common? It's all about my personal preference and my personal experience. As if the church was just a collection of spectators watching people on a platform and they're passively consuming something. The church is, the church is more today like 60,000 people gathered at the Hard Rock Stadium this afternoon watching, watching, and they're in desperate need of exercise, watching 22 people on a field in desperate need of rest. We've turned it into this giant spectator sport, but the church isn't a music hall, it's not a lecture hall, it's a banquet hall. And if you go to a great feast, oh, there's music and, and there's wisdom there's conversation, but it's a community of people that are gathered together, and at the center of it all stands the Lord Jesus Christ, at the center of the throne, the one who is worthy of our worship and praise. So what are our spiritual sacrifices? Let me very briefly this morning give you three. Okay, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I urge you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, which is your reasonable service of worship. You offer your bodies to God. Now, he says you're a living sacrifice. That means that worship doesn't stop with the benediction. Gathered worship ceases at that moment, but this means our whole lives go on being worship. So that when we get up on Monday morning, we don't go, well, I was a priest on Sunday, but, but today I'm no longer a priest. I'm, I'm simply a hedge fund manager. I'm simply an attorney. I'm simply, I'm simply a teacher. No, whether you're a teacher our homemaker, or a business manager, you're running an office, you're working in a sales force, you never cease being a priest because your whole life is given over to God in worship. Everything you do is done unto God. That'll change the way you do your work. Because now worship is not something which is reduced to Sunday only, it means you get up tomorrow morning, you are Monday morning priests. Everything you're doing is priesting. You're available to pray. You're available to share. You're available to offer yourselves to others. But, but I want to emphasize something here, and it's the physicality of spirituality. That's a great phrase, isn't it? The physicality of spirituality. Your bodies are involved in worship. Now, I know that makes some of us uncomfortable because some of us are very introverted. And we don't like, you know, sort of physical expression. And, and, and we just, you know, some of us want to just kind of sit there and just kind of take it all in and we're just after, you know, here's us in worship. And that's why some of us get, you know, the frozen chosen have met, okay? So we're just like this. Now, others of us, we're just like, wah, you know? And like, you don't want to get sitting too close to those folks, right? Right, you want to give yourself a couple of seats because you know, and, and look, that's okay. All of us have our, our different personalities and some people, you know, some people have satellite and some people have cable. It's, it's okay, I get, I get it. Some people have just disconnected completely. All right, you know, so. But, but here's the thing, your bodies in the Bible are involved in worship. Clap your hands. 
Oh, some of you did it. I didn't know you were gonna do that. Okay, so, so the Bible says clap your hands or sing to the Lord a new song or come let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. Or here's one that'll shake you up. Let us, let us praise him in dancing. Later, later, okay, don't. I, nobody wants to see that, all right. It'll be like Barney dancing with children if I got into that thing, you know. It would not be a pretty sight, okay. Not cool at all. All right, but here's what I, here's what I, you, your, your body is holy and dedicated to God. And so, of course, your voice, your thoughts, it's not just your thoughts, but your thoughts are included. Your heart, your passion, everything is involved in the worship of God. Here's a second thing. In Philippians chapter four, the resources that we share for the gospel are an offering as well. In Philippians chapter four, Paul writes this. Now, Paul was in prison, by the way, when he, when he wrote these words. And he says, he says uh, it was kind of you to share in my trouble. And, and he, says, I, uh, he, says, he says, even in, in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs time and time again. Not that I seek the gift itself, I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant, what, look what Paul talks, look what Paul calls the financial offerings that were sent to him. The gifts you sent, a fragrant aroma, a sacrifice, a fragrant offering or aroma, some versions say, a sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing, say the last two words with me, to God, to God. You say, well, we sent it to Paul, but while it went to Paul, it was actually what? To God. So many people miss this. They go, well, I, I, I gave to the church. No, you gave in the church, but actually every act of giving goes where? To God. Tithing, guys, tithing is not dues you pay to be part of the club. It's a priestly offering we make to the Lord. It's not, it's not membership dues, it's not a tip either. It's tithing, not tipping. It's not, you know, well, that was really good today. That was a solid message. I'm dropping a five in the box. I'm not. This is not a valet service sports fans, okay? Can we get this straight? All right, so this is what you're doing when you get, and I, you did it, you did it with Ukraine. You, you, you gave over and abundantly, you do this, Dan's talking about the push pins and the church plants, how's that happen? It happens because people are worshipers, they take their priesthood seriously. We honor God from the, first, from the first fruits, everything. It goes to him. Okay, so let's get that straight. When we give an offering, we're not paying membership dues. We're not, we're, not, we're not doing something like that. We're not just like, oh, okay. No, it's an offering. If you see yourself as a priest, then every time you make an offering, you're offering it in the church, but where? To God. Okay, here's a, here's a third one. Here's the here's final one. Hebrews 13, verse 15. It's not the, these are not the only ones, but... These are just ones I wanted to bring to your attention to. Verse 15, through him then, let us continually offer up the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. Now, the Bible is full. The biggest book in the Bible is 150 songs of praise. And though that praise includes lamentation, sadness, celebration and gladness. It includes declaration 
It includes warfare, it includes mourning, it includes calls to silence, all of these different expressions because our lives are so diverse and rich and we go through seasons of joy and sorrow and mourning, we go through times of warfare and battle and times of quiet and stillness and we need all 150 of those songs but all of them are songs of praise to our God. And so when you, when you and I come together and we praise the Lord, think about it, somebody who comes in and goes, why are these people singing, that's so weird. If people have never been raised in church or they come from a completely different kind of religious background where music isn't part of it, they might go, why do these people sing? That's so strange. But singing has been part of God's priestly people for all these years because we sing and praise him. It's a sacrifice we're offering. That's why sometimes when you're singing, you'll see somebody doing this. Why are they raising their hands? Well, you, sometimes people raise their hands because it's like surrender. Okay, I give up. But usually it means this, Lord, these words that I'm singing are an offering. I'm giving them to you. You, Lord, are my shepherd. You are my rock. You are my fortress. Sometimes it's so overwhelming, you fall on your face, you get down on your knees, and I would, but it takes too long for me to get up. And, and, and so you get down here, you say, Lord, you're just so good. I'm just so humble before you. You've been so kind to me. It's a sacrifice of praise. That's why when, when we come together, what we offer to God in song and prayer is so important. But notice the words, through him. Through him then. And this is why, friends, just to close with this, we need a mediator. You see, our worship is never perfect and our praying is never perfect and our songs are never perfect. They're just not. Even our favorite ones, they're just not. And our hearts aren't perfect. I mean, this is, you know, what happens is you gather in worship and, 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 and our minds wander. So even when we're gathered for worship and even when we're seeking to do the right thing, our minds wander. Some of your minds are wandering right now. When will he finish? All right. When will he be done? And, 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 and could we stop? You know, you missed several great opportunities to stop. And, and, and so, you know, have that kind of thing going on. Or you'll be right in the middle of praying or praising God. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Do I need to go to Publix after? I mean, do we, what are, what are we doing for lunch today? What are we doing? I got, oh, your goodness is running after me. Okay, so we're all over the place on stuff, aren't we? I mean, we are, you know, or you're like, oh, Lord, you're so good, and you got a five year old tugging on you going hey 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 and you're like shut up I'm in the throne room in Jesus name shut up and you you know right so we're just a mess we're just a mess even in worship we're a mess that's why our worship has to be mediated through Jesus Christ he's our great high priest our high priest so John Chrysostom the great preacher in Constantinople back in the fourth century, he told a story, he illustrated this way about a little boy who wants to bring flowers to his, his mother, gathers them up, his mother is sick. And of course, when a little boy goes out, this little five-year-old boy goes out, he's gathering up flowers. Little boys go out, gather flowers, but they don't have an app on their phone in the fourth century that says, oh, that's a weed. So they bring in all kinds of stuff, not just flowers. But before it gets to his sick mother, the father takes all the weeds out so that when it's presented, it's nothing but beautiful. Let me tell you what happens when we worship, even imperfectly. It goes through Jesus Christ, so that when it arrives, your worship, my praying, it's what? It's perfect. It's acceptable. 
it joins with angels in heaven and it, it's, it, it combines, it merges, it harmonizes with angels crying holy, holy, holy and all the saints who've gone before us going worthy is the lamb. And we find ourselves accepted there too, why? Because Jesus is not only the priest, he's the lamb. See, in the Old Testament, if you came as a worshiper, you needed a lamb to draw near to God. The lamb represented you. The lamb took your place. And when you came to worship, the priest would inspect the lamb. Listen, the priest inspected what? Did he inspect the lamb or the worshiper? The lamb. And if the lamb was perfect, then the worshiper was accepted. If the lamb was perfect, not the worshiper, if the lamb was perfect, the worshiper was accepted. And then John came and said, there's Jesus, not a lamb, but what? Perfect, spotless, without blemish. And he represented you and he died for you on the cross. And his death on the cross and his resurrection on the third day means that you and I are now priests and because he is perfect, we are accepted. Isn't that amazing? My friends, welcome to the holy priestly people. You are baptized and you are it. Thanks be to God. All right, let's stand together, shall we? Lord, we come before you now. We lift hands made holy by nail-pierced hands. We lift voices to you made pure by the voice of the creator who said, let there be light. We lift hearts to you made clean through blood that's been sprinkled on us, the spirit turning our stony hearts into hearts of flesh. You alone are our king, our redeemer, and our rock. You are the only one who is our life and on whom we would build our life. You are the solid rock, and we bless your name. Let's sing it again.